chapter nine part one of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter nine part one but as the days change men change too the years had come and gone and strange things had happened in the world of history and politics wars and treaties invasions and expeditions changes in legislature in science in art new whims new fancies new theories had rippled the river of time but here at lashmar castle there had been no stirring events by which to distinguish the passing years life here had been monotonously placid and tranquil yet not altogether happy lady lashmar had drunk of the cup of disappointment in those slow years life had seemed to open with the buoyant rapture of a wedding march when fate made her son master of lashmar castle she who was accustomed to rule had thought it the most natural thing in the world that she should rule her only son not with open domination but with delicate diplomacy with tenderest maternal management bitter had been her disappointment when she discovered that lashmar was not so to be ruled he was not an undutiful son he treated his mother with affectionate consideration but he was bent upon living his own life and that was essentially a manly independent life a life of travel and sport yachting mountaineering salmon fishing in canada bear hunting in the rockies deer stalking in the highlands had taken him far from his mother and the possibility of maternal guidance within the last two years he had taken ardently to politics but even political life was a life of severance from her ladyship who was no longer in the vigour of health and strength no longer able to hold her own in the turmoil of london society a great deal faster and more furious more capricious fickle and volatile than the society of lady pitland's time a great change had come over lady pitland's daughter within the seven years that had passed since hubert lord lashmar had been laid in the family vault yonder under the old church at the end of the park the hand of affliction had weighed heavily on that proud spirit lady lashmar's health had given way a slow and gradual depression indicative as her physician blandly hinted of some obscure inward malady had crept over that active mind working slow and subtle changes until little by little with a gradual transformation hardly perceived by those who were constantly about her the lady lashmar of the present had become an entirely different woman from the lady lashmar of the past 
the severe lines of that handsome face had softened with the premature whitening of those soft masses of hair which now recalled the marie antoinette of de la roche's famous picture yet despite this softer aspect the woman was at heart the same proud as milton's satan but with the melancholy pride of a disappointed life there had been times when she regretted her dead stepson regretted the old days in which her influence had been paramount and her boy as a younger son with his own way to make in the world had been dependent upon the maternal purse for all his pleasures and indulgences she had long been for the day when he should stand in his brother's place that day had come and it had been the beginning of severance her boy was no longer to be gratified by gifts from the maternal hoard he had no longer need of the maternal influence and counsel in the difficult career of a younger son he was his own master rich titled with very little incentive to the creation of a career for five years lady lashmar watched her son's idle wanderings with disappointment and anxiety she began to fear that he was no better than other young men to whom fortune has given too much and with whom ambition is a dead letter she was beginning to despair of him when there came a political crisis and lord lashmar came suddenly to the front the conservatives had braced themselves together for a final effort against a liberal government of five years standing a government which its enemies declared to have afforded the most disastrous example of misrule ever known in the history of parliamentary legislature and which its friends descanted upon blandly as a reign of peace and prosperity and as it were a perpetual symposium of recumbent lambs and lions much in this crisis turned upon the acceptance or rejection of an important measure in the house of lords and it was then that lashmar girded up his loins and stood up in his place among the grey-bearded tribunes and spoke as men seldom speak in that austere assembly spoke with the fire and freshness the vigour and the strong feeling of inexperienced youth the speech took his fellow-peers by surprise all the more since the young peer had never had that training in the lower house without which it is popularly supposed that no man can ever be a good debater lashmar awoke next morning to find himself a politician with a reputation the bill went back to the commons and mr nestorius smarting under the sense of defeat threw himself upon the country just at that critical hour when his popularity was on the wane nothing can be more fatal than to dissolve parliament on an ebb tide the conservatives came in with triumph to their own exceeding surprise all this had happened two years ago and now lord lashmar was a power in the upper house and occupied a position of some importance in the political and social world he was one of those young men of mark about whose matrimonial views people speculate freely society wondered when and whom he would marry 
who was there good enough for him in these days of lamentable decadence this question generally resolved itself into a discussion as to which of the heiresses of the year would have most money since it appeared obvious that lord lashmar would require money seven years had gone by since clarice danebrook had played tennis on the lawn under lady lashmar's windows and nothing had come of her ladyship's hopes in that direction clarice and lord lashmar had seen a good deal of each other in the london season which followed those quiet autumn days at the castle they had waltzed many a waltz had met in many a crush upon the staircases of belgravia and mayfair they had even ridden side by side in the row job danebrook jogging quietly beside them on his weight-carrier thinking of his latest improvements in machinery or the possibility of a strike amongst his operatives people had said that young lord lashmar was anchored already the worldly wise had lauded lady lashmar's good management just what one would expect from a daughter of old lady pitland but nothing came of these rides and these waltzes after all lashmar went back to the continent without having compromised himself by one too tender word there had been magnetic looks and gentle hand pressures on the impulse of the moment when they two stood side by side amidst the crowd nestling together as it were under the pressure of that silken throng in an atmosphere overcharged with the scent of gardenias and tuberoses there had been looks that had thrilled the simple middleshire maiden but nothing had come of those tender glances from dark grey eyes under heavy brown brows lord lashmar had gone away deeming that it was too soon for him to avow himself he was not quite sure he wanted time and clarice was assuredly too young to know her own mind precipitancy in these matters is always dangerous often fatal but there is seldom harm in delay he went and he left clarice lamenting like ariadne at naxos and like ariadne she found a consoler she had been very fond of lord lashmar in her mild almost infantine way and she had set her heart upon being a peeress perhaps she worshipped him chiefly because he was a nobleman of ancient race and high standing she had seen him from the first invested with that aureole which her mother had taught her to revere the golden halo of hereditary rank and now he was gone and she felt heartbroken disappointed crushed her mother also was disappointed and did not conceal her feelings she told clarice that lord lashmar had behaved shamefully and that he was unworthy of a moment's thought notwithstanding which clarice thought of him during almost every moment of the day and many a wakeful hour of the night until the appearance of a new admirer of still higher rank afforded a spurious kind of consolation the new admirer was lord carmenau a marquis and one of the most dissipated young men 
in london or paris a young man who a year before he met clarice had the reputation of being industriously engaged in drinking himself to death but who was said to have pulled up on the brink of the precipice as it were and to be in a fair way to reform his hand was still very shaky and he was still obliged to put cayenne pepper in his brandy but he drank less brandy and his hand was less tremulous than it had been last year lord carmenau met clarice and her family at falbach whither mr and mrs danebrooke had taken their daughter with the idea that iron would revive her broken spirits lord carmenau was there also in quest of iron the marquis and the maiden drank the waters together and sat side by side to hear the band play in the gardens of the little casino he was not an intellectual young man and brain and nerves were alike shattered by long established habits of intemperance at an age when other men are in the morning of life he was old and broken it was a melancholy spectacle piteous in the eyes of mrs danebrook who never for a moment forgot that the poor shaking hand belonged to a marquis she was infinitely sorry for him sorrowful yet not without hope for she told herself and all her intimate friends that if he could only marry a girl who loved him he would no doubt become a new man he was already on the right road all he needed was to have his footsteps sustained by a faithful arm his days cheered by sweet companionship after three weeks acquaintance he proposed to clarice danebrooke and was accepted with a kind of haughty carelessness on the part of the young lady as if she took this coronet as her due and despised the giver with rapture on the part of the mother but by the father with considerable and even outspoken reluctance i suppose the world will say that my little girl is making a fine match said honest job danebrook but unless you mend your habits lord carmenau she will be one of the most miserable wives in london carmenau swore that his habits were already mended and that with clarice for his wife there could be no fear of relapse the wedding took place late in the autumn much to lady lashmar's indignation she had done all in her power to deter clarice had told her in plainest language what manner of life lord carmenau had been leading since he left oxford and even at oxford but clarice had made up her mind to be a marchioness and she was marble he is very good-natured and he is a gentleman she said i can afford to take my chance i shall do all i can to reform him you cried her ladyship surveying her from head to foot with a scathing look poor baby you little know what you are undertaking clarice took her chance and enrolled herself for ever among the marchionesses of england she endured three and a half years of a most intolerable existence before lord carmenau finished that business of drinking himself to death which he had begun so blithely at christchurch in the dawn of manhood and many of his fellow-commoners took toast and water for their dinner beverage he was gone and job danebrooke was gone and clarice marchioness of carmenau was established at danebrooke hall 
inordinately rich and as lovely as in her earliest girlhood mrs danebrook lived with her daughter and had been left very well off by the ironmaster but clarice was mistress in all things and a mistress on a very grand scale modelling herself upon the great lady pitland about whose little ways she had heard so much from lady lashmar there had been no issue of that unhappy union and a distant cousin of lord carmenau had succeeded to the marquisate an elderly man with a large family who swooped down upon the estate like a flight of vultures devouring everything there was only a pittance of seven thousand a year for the widowed marchioness an insignificant addition to her own enormous income the new marchioness and her daughters thought she ought not to have taken that pittance and now in these days of her widowhood clarice was again almost as a daughter to lady lashmar who had much need of solace and society in her present depressed state of health need also of much attendance wanting to be waited upon with exemplary patience altogether a hard and difficult mistress she had three slaves who were always in attendance upon her barker the patient and homely maid of thirty years service celestine the expert abigail with deft fingers and faultless taste in the confection of a cap or the arrangement of a drapery were it only the sweeping folds of an indian shawl worn over an invalid's shoulders lady lashmar had taken to dress as elderly women dress when they have renounced the pomps and vanities of the world she rarely wore anything but black brocade or velvet and she wore a cap and generally had her shoulders draped with some rich shawl she looked distinguished still but she always looked old and she very often looked ill her third attendant occupied a nondescript position was hardly a servant though she was treated quite as cavalierly as the lowest servant and was not quite a companion she was a tall and slender girl with a pale olive complexion a small head crowned with ebon hair and the most wonderful dark eyes that were ever seen out of andalusia she was always dressed with a severe simplicity in a black cashmere gown high to the throat with a small linen collar and a long plain skirt this was as much a uniform with her as it was with the housemaids whose afternoon gowns were just of the same colour and fashion yet no one would have taken her for anything but a lady there was a distinctive grace and dignity in every line of the tall straight figure the head had the imperial carriage of a cleopatra this was stella boldwood now nineteen years of age and promoted within the last two years to the post of her ladyship's reader and amanuensis not of her own accord but very reluctantly had lady lashmar accepted her stepson's protege in this intimate familiarity the girl had been forced upon her by circumstances and the officiousness of her other dependents the time had come when she who had been a great reader had begun to feel the fatigue of reading too much for her broken nerves the time had come when a chronic languor made an effort to her to hold a book or follow the lines of a page she was only fit to recline 
in her easy chair and listened while some subdued voice read aloud to her and the accents of that voice must be those of refinement celestine was of course impossible for english reading and the twang of her original faubourg made even her french detestable to her ladyship's sensitive ear barker was worse the doctor suggested stella whom he had seen very often when sitting in the cottage parlour where he dropped in once or twice a week to chat with old gabriel verner he had attended the old man every winter during sharp attacks of bronchitis and he had seen how stella excelled as a nurse i know something of the young lady said mr stokes please don't call her a young lady my good stokes remonstrated her ladyship she has been brought up among servants as a servant you must remember how i disapproved of my poor stepson's folly about that girl you may bring up a fox and a litter of terriers but he'll be reynard all the same at the end of this chapter said mr stokes that girl is a lady she has good blood in her veins i'll go bail and she got her early training from the late lord lashmar who was one of the most intellectual men i ever had the honour to know you can't undo that lady lashmar you may order the girl to handle a broom and twirl a mop and she may think it her duty to obey you but she is a lady all the same i think all girls are ladies nowadays retorted the invalid impatiently a great wave of refinement has swept over our people even country girls are no longer buxom and sturdy and active they are all pallid and languid and ladylike stuffed with science primers and fine notions and they want to do as little work as possible i suppose we must call this paragon of yours a lady help i want someone to read to me but unfortunately i dislike that girl of yours prejudice lady lashmar idle prejudice replied mr stokes who always said what he liked to her ladyship let her make a beginning and if you find her disagreeable you can send her about her business of course answered lady lashmar perhaps she may be rather more endurable than a stranger i abhor strangers so stella was told one morning that her mission would be to act as lady lashmar's reader and amanuensis until further notice and from that hour she was a slave her life had been easy enough of late years easy even to pleasantness the rule of the uncompromising middleham had been made very light for her when that autocratic personage found that she was willing industrious and conscientious and that whatever she did was well done she had been able by early rising to get her work done before the one o'clock dinner and then she had been allowed to do what she liked with her afternoons always provided she reappeared at the five o'clock tea which of late she had taken with mrs barker in the little room upstairs a priceless privilege since it spared her the gossiping uncongenial joviality of the still-room little by little the girl had drifted as it were into a life of her own apart from those servants whose existence the dowager wished her to share she had been among them for a little while but she had never been one of them as she grew into girlhood the difference between her and them became more sharply defined they felt that she could never be one of them and her presence became an embarrassment they were very glad that she preferred solitude to their friendly company and a quiet cup of tea in barker's room to their own noisy meal she had always such old-fashioned ways they said 
strange that a child should be such a blue stocking but of course that was all the late lord lashmar's doing he had brought her up as no child ever was brought up before she had been dry-nursed upon books as the years wore on stella was almost happy the afternoon hours of every day were spent with gabriel verner he was old and feeble and sometimes very prosy but he was a mine of information he loved learning for learning's sake and he loved stella he carried on her education from the point at which lord lashmar had left off he cultivated her love of the classics reading homer and virgil and horace with her again and again dwelling on the passages he loved ingraining their beauties into the very mind of his pupil he taught her french and german and together they read the classics in both languages they had nothing to distract them from their books no visitors no pleasures in summer-time they sat in a quiet spot on the edge of the river a little nook below the towing path out of everyone's way under a willow which lashmar had loved in winter they sat opposite each other by the trimly kept hearth like two old cronies it is wonderful how much reading may be got through in seven years by a young enthusiast and a veteran student when the world has no claims upon either and offers no temptations to youth or age stella had read more than many fairly cultivated men of forty when she was suddenly called upon to do suit and service to lady lashmar from this time her regular studies with gabriel verner were at an end and those gentle cares of hers which had made his old age so easy had now to be performed under difficulties she could only steal away from the castle now and then for a brief visit to her old friend just time enough to see to his comforts and to talk to his landlady who was kindly but stupid and whom stella had been gradually training into proper carefulness of her lodger you do spoil the old gentleman so miss remonstrated the good soul old people require a little spoiling mrs chip but nobody could spoil mr verner he is so good and so unselfish well miss nobody can deny that he is a nice easy gentleman to get on with and if i wasn't afraid of his setting the house on fire i should say he was the best lodger i ever had much better than they young curates as most people set such store by and a permanence too which the best of curates never was you must be more attentive to him than ever mrs chip now that i am so seldom here urged stella and mrs chip promised that the student should lack no fostering care it was with a rebellious heart that stella entered lady lashmar's morning room on the first day of her new service mr stokes had endeavoured to awaken her sympathy for the stern dowager he had hinted to her that the disease from which lady lashmar suffered must sooner or later be fatal that all the rest of her life must be spent under the shadow of affliction she is very much to be pitied poor soul said the kindly stokes all the more so perhaps because she is not the kind of woman to invite pity yet even after this appeal stella felt nothing but aversion as she stood tall and straight as a lily stalk at the foot of her ladyship's sofa she was thinking of that summer afternoon seven years ago when lady lashmar had sat beside her bed swathed in inky crape stern pitiless and had told her of her benefactor's death how all life and this bright world had changed to darkness at the sound of that cruel voice yes it was the same face cold faultless and beautiful looking at her with disdainful eyes she had not been face to face with lady lashmar since that dreadful day she had lived under her roof and eaten her bread and had felt the sting of her tyranny but the mistress of the castle had been no more visible to her than the mikado to the meanest of his subjects 
and now she looked at her oppressor thoughtfully in the june sunlight noting the changes time had wrought yes it was the same countenance in no wise softened by affliction but the hair was white and there were traces of suffering and of premature age i require a person to read to me for some hours daily sometimes even late at night and i am told that you have contrived to educate yourself with mr verner's help and that you know how to read aloud is this so i have read aloud to mr verner the girl answered quietly often habitually there was no waste of words on either side then you can begin at once there are my books pointing to a revolving bookstand within reach of the sofa a stand which held about forty volumes invalids are very capricious and require change of mental food you can begin with charles lamb Aaliyah's essays that one upon old china for instance i'm in a lazy mood to-day and would rather not be called upon to think she was lying on a luxurious sofa propped up with pillows she spent a considerable portion of every day in this recumbent position but she was not confined to her sofa or to her room and when there was company at the castle or when her son was at home she generally dined downstairs and held her own with the old air of supremacy which had been to her as a royal robe she was not easily to be beaten even by bodily pain or the vague languors of obscure disease she meant to make a good fight to the end stella seated herself in a low chair a little way from the sofa and began to read she read lamb for an hour and then she was told to lay aside lamb and to take up a volume of travels in bokhara a new book which her ladyship had just received and when the travels wearied she was told to resume the last poem by browning at the page which her ladyship had marked she was allowed to read on like a machine she read for three hours without respite and then she was told that she might go you read very well said her ladyship with cold approval i dare say i shall want you again late in the evening stay you can arrange my pillows before you go stella bent over the white marie antoinette head and with light and careful touch adjusted the heaped-up pillows and then without a word of thanks from the invalid she left the room as she went out by one door barker entered by another yes i think she will do said lady lashmar she has a sympathetic voice and reads well this is one of my bad days barker i shall not leave my room at nine in the evening stella was summoned again the lamp-lit room with its profusion of roses seemed a revelation of long-forgotten beauty and elegance after the puritanical plainness of the servants quarters the golden-brown brocade curtains and clouds of indian muslin draping the fine old windows the rich carmine of old Sevres vases and candelabra the chippendale what-nots crowded with richly bound books the low chairs and dainty little tables offering every possible form of convenience for books or flowers or cup and saucer the old indian screen and tall young palms and satsuma bowls such surroundings were new to stella after the prim commonness of the housekeeper's parlour with its horsehair sofa and pembroke table yet she felt more at home here than in mrs middleham's room lady lashmar looked wan and faded in the lamplight and the sickly white of her complexion was accentuated by the rich dark tints in her brown plush tea-gown a diamond and sapphire brooch fastened her fichu of old english lace and the semi-transparent hands glittered with costliest rings there was here no intention of letting down the pride of womanhood or station even under the grip of a fatal malady you can go on with balaustian she said 
not a word more no praise or thanks for the afternoon's work no invitation to take a cup of tea from the old silver salver placed handily on the delicious little tea-table beside her ladyship's sofa jonathan boldwood's daughter was to be treated only as a serf beneath that roof she had been reared there according to the laws of slavery and there is no reason that a slave should be treated any better because he happens to have cultivated his intellect she read till eleven without any sign of fatigue she had so trained herself during those long afternoons when she had sat on the stool at the old student's feet reading the authors he loved saving the poor old faded eyes she had read on unconscious of the passage of time just as she read now absorbed by her own delight in browning's verse with its undertones of deepest thought at eleven lady lashmar dismissed her with briefest good-night her duties as reader went on for months without variation she spent at least half of every day in lady lashmar's rooms and was often summoned late at night to sit beside her ladyship's bed and to read till three or four o'clock in the morning she performed her task with a cold placidity which was agreeable to the high-bred dowager who detested fuss and would have been disgusted by servility or officiousness later on lady lashmar allowed her slave to write all her letters to indifferent persons and sometimes even a letter of friendship but the amanuensis was never employed in writing to her ladyship's son those letters were always in the mother's penmanship stella had filled this office for nearly two years and had been of the utmost service to lady lashmar yet the stern dowager had but in the smallest measure relented of her original aversion from her stepson's protege she used her as a companion and slave but she never forgot that this thoughtful-looking girl with the large dark eyes was jonathan boldwood's daughter and that the venom of radicalism ran in those blue veins which showed in such delicate tracery upon the slim white hands and on the ivory pallor of the forehead the old prejudice still existed in full force and the dowager in no wise relaxed her hauteur because stella boldwood had become useful to her in her inmost heart she was angry with the girl for the very gifts which made her an invaluable companion she resented that force of character which had enabled the child dependent to rise superior to her surroundings and to make herself a lady in manners and superior to most ladies in education she was angry at that native grace which gave elegance even to the black merino gown which was the livery of servitude nothing could vulgarize stella or reduce her to the level of her ladyship's other dependents barker had one day ventured to suggest that as the girl was now virtually her ladyship's companion she should have some prettier gowns a black silk for instance or at any rate one of those fine french alpacas which celestine always wore a material which combined all the lustre and softness of silk with the merit of never wearing out but lady lashmar replied angrily that the girl was to wear such gowns as the housemaids wore and no other she is quite vain enough as it is said her ladyship i believe she spends hours in dressing that hair of hers and training her eyebrows this was a cruel attack upon stella's pencilled brows whose bold clear line gave such character to the low broad forehead barker was indignant at this ungenerous treatment of a girl who sat up till two or three o'clock in the morning three times a week on an average to beguile the tedium of her ladyship's wakeful nights but stella made no complaint against the inevitable black merino gown she was glad when for the convenience of lady lashmar she was transferred to a pretty little bedchamber on the principal floor close to barker's den where she now took all her meals and which she was allowed to use as her own sitting-room 
she was thus removed entirely from all association with the other servants and barker was one of those kindly souls who with but the slightest modicum of education have all the instincts of good breeding stella had never revolted against the society of barker while barker's niece betsy was always dear to her as the friend of her childhood and now it was the end of september and lord lashmar and a little knot of distinguished visitors were expected at the castle some intent on the slaughter of the pheasants others only desiring rest and respite after the fatigues of a london season End of chapter nine part one